Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them, would you, to 1 Peter chapter 1. We are back in the New King James using uh, the New King James, so you want to follow along. You use whatever reliable translation you like using, but we're back in the New King James for 1 Peter. And we are in chapter 1, verse 3, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Safe and Secure in Jesus. It's an important truth for you and I to grasp that we know of our safety and security in Christ Jesus. And Peter the fisherman has received the greatest education that anybody could ever have in their entire life. Where those that were in authority, those that looked down on them, those that were judging them, they would look at Peter and they would say, you know what, these guys are untrained and uneducated. And according to the world standards, that was a true statement. Uh, Today you would say, well, look at those guys. They didn't go to seminary. They weren't trained in Bible college. And that would be true. They were professional fishermen. They, They had different, Peter was a professional fisherman. And he had a different trade, a different direction in life until Jesus grabbed a hold of his life. And he gave up everything to follow. And the, rest, the, the next three years of his life, we know that he spent time with Jesus. He was recognized as a man who had been with Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. That's the best education you and I can ever receive. Because I know for most listening to me, you're, you don't have seminary in your future. You can't just drop everything and head off to Bible college. You have a family to raise. You have bills to pay. You, you have a course of life. God didn't call you to seminary. He didn't call you to Bible college. He called you to be a doctor. To, to, he called you to drive a truck. He called you to raise the kids, be a family, whatever it is. And that's not in your future. However, you don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to go to Bible college. Just spend time with Jesus. Just spend time in his word, in prayer, be in Bible study. Feed yourself the word. This is the way of the Lord. This is not unique as if, oh, it's just for a few people. This is the way of the Lord. This is discipleship. This is the life of a Christian. To know him, to follow him, to spend time with him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God. I'm reading from the New Living on this one. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. You may have memorized it as, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Here in the New Living, it's above everything else you ever do. Your life is set on course to follow Jesus, to know him personally, to listen to him, to learn his ways and his thoughts. And Peter, he spent time with Jesus, the best education you could ever have. And remember, he's writing this letter now having spent three years with Jesus, having denied him, having been restored, having learned the value of taking care of the flock of God. That's what his failure was used by God in Peter's life. His failure, his denial, his pride, his self-sufficiency. When Jesus restored him, 
Jesus gave him three times to affirm. Remember at the end of John, he gave him three times to affirm his love. One, I believe, for each time he denied Jesus. And each time Peter affirmed his love for, for Jesus, he was also given the instruction, okay, look, do you love me? Take care of the flock. Tend the flock. And that's what this letter is. We are listening to Pastor Peter. And he has chosen to write down, being inspired of the Holy Spirit, important truths to a scattered, hassled, tired, persecuted group of believers under the leadership of the Antichrist Nero. Now, he's not the literal capital A Antichrist, but rather his life was against Christ. He's wrapping up believers in animal skins and setting them on fire in, the, in his gardens. The believers are scattered and hurting. They're afflicted and oppressed. The government has turned against them wildly. And Peter wants to build them up. And so what does he say in verse 1? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims. And it's just a reminder, you're passing through. This is not your permanent home, church. Peter reminds them, all that you're going through, all the pain, you're passing through. This is temporary. This isn't your home. And let me just say, to the degree that you want this world to be your home will be the degree that your trials are harder, not easier. Because they disrupt everything that you want to be normal. Everything that you want to be stable. Anything apart from Jesus Christ, you will not experience stability in this world. You might get a taste of it, but not much. You begin to build up you know, a savings account, and then things happen up in the government with the banks and stuff, and boom, it's gone. And then what do you do? Because your stability was in money. You find yourself in a place where, man, I want stability in a career. And then through technology, like, like with my dad, for example, the invention of the computer eliminated my dad's, my dad's job completely. It doesn't exist anymore. And that happened years ago. And you see it moving and moving and moving. Anything that we are seeking stability in, the more that we seek stability in above all else other than Jesus, it's just going to make you frustrated. You got to remember you're a pilgrim. Notice, he speaks to this group of the dispersion because what happens with persecution is it scatters. It separates. And we won't always have the ability for fellowship. In a very small way, we've been experiencing that over the last few months. We won't always have an opportunity for kind of the fellowship that we take for granted because persecution scatters. It separates. People run for their lives. And they move on. That happened in the early church, in the, in the church in Jerusalem, when they were told to scatter. You know, it's not, it's, it's not always a bad thing for us to scatter. Because the early church was told to scatter. Jesus said, take this gospel. You're going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts chapter 1, you're going to be my witnesses. And they didn't leave Jerusalem until they were persecuted. And then all of a sudden, they ran away. And when they ran away from the persecution, they ran to places where their gospel hadn't been preached yet. And when they ran away, what did they take with them? 
everything they had learned thus far. And the gospel went to unreached places and to unreached people. And whether that's a small scale for you or a large scale for you, dispersions come. And this is a literal dispersion. It's in the area of, notice, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, modern-day Turkey up in that area. And then he said in verse 2, by way of review, he calls these pilgrims elect. God's perspective is their elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So to the scattered believers, Peter gets real deep into theology right at the outset. Not only does he mention the Trinity in this one verse and how the triune God is involved in the salvation of every man, woman, and child. You see it there in verse 3, uh, excuse me, in verse uh, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Holy Spirit, and sprinkling of blood for obedience in Jesus Christ, all co-equal, members of the Godhead. But also, he speaks of this election. And for a fisherman, you know, Peter jumps right in because he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Look, your sta station in life and your position in life and what somebody might label you as and what someone might make fun of you does not define you. You are defined by God himself. You were created in his image. And as a born-again believer, now you have a new identity. I know other people want to pull you back into the old you. And they want you to be identified by your mistakes and by your failures. But God doesn't remember you that way. God sees you as you move forward by faith. You're not defined by your past. So, so Peter, he's a, he's a fisherman? No, he is a man of God and dwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he's straight up telling them, look, you guys, you might think that because you're going through trials and tribulations that you're not a real believer, you might think you're doing it wrong, you might have doubts, but Peter, right at the outset, in the midst of trials, in the midst of oppression, what does he say? You are chosen by God. You're elect. And I know a lot of people like to argue about this. This is really all review because we looked at this last time. But people want to argue about this. But listen, don't let it trip you up. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you too are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Because he knows everything, he's able to choose you. It's his divine providential privilege to choose. And he does. And his choice is based upon the knowledge that we'll choose him. And God knows and we don't. He knows from the beginning. We learned that, that, that God knows all things. And we learned what does that mean? God's omniscience. That's the doctrine. Omniscience. He has all knowledge. So his decisions are made with that knowledge. He can see the beginning from the end. And we're always going to see this together, aren't we? We're going to see God's sovereign choice and our response. Nobody ever is saved against their will. No one has ever received salvation like as a surprise. Oh, did God save me? I didn't know. Okay, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess I'm saved. No, there's, oh, they always go together. I gave you a scripture last time. Let me repeat it for you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. There's God's part and there's man's part. There's the sovereignty of God. There's the free will of man. Listen, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. So he tells the believers in Thessalonica, know your election by God. 
And then notice what he says. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And listen, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, so you see two points. You see the choice, the election of God, and you see the receiving of the word. You have a choice, God has a choice, and they meet together in a mystery, but it's beautiful mystery. But let me say this. They receive the word of God in much affliction. This time of much affliction is a time of harvest, church. It's a time of harvest, Because people receive the word of God when there's much affliction. I wonder if you're here today following Jesus Christ because a trial was so heavy and so hard that it stopped you in your tracks and it was in that season that God brought a person, God brought a radio station, God brought a friend, God brought a cassette tape, a CD, a link, a YouTube video where somebody preached the gospel to you and you had ears to hear. And the reason your ears were open is because it was much affliction. How many people are listening in a jail cell right now? And it's because of the jail cell that they are making the commitment. And I want you, if you're in a jail right now and you're listening to me, I want you to keep your commitment because you probably sat there and go, you know what, God, if you get me through this, I will dedicate my life to following you. Keep that, comp- keep that promise. Keep that commitment. But, you know, two years ago, they were running the streets, committing crime, doing all sorts of things. They weren't crying out to God, but now that they're caught and they're doing their time, their time has caused them to go, you know what? I think it's time to commit my life to Jesus. Everything I've ever heard. It's time. And we get letters all the time from people in jail, from Sterling, all over, all over from Denver, that, that that's the time that God has apprehended their heart. Even this week, I received an email uh, from a mom who wants some material that we can give to her so she can send to her son in jail. Why? Because much affliction opens up the door to much hearing. And you receive the word in much affliction. This is a time of harvest. This is not time to go back and go, oh, look at me. and What do I don't have? What's being taken away from you? Listen, don't worry about what's being taken away from you. Go forward with what you have. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are people in much affliction right now that don't know the Lord Jesus. And here we are. We're kind of stuck in whatever it is that we're stuck in. And we're not living an obedient life. There's God's will. God's choice, our choice. God's action, our action. And so the door is open to whosoever in the world would believe. I love that. We're reminded of God's choosing us because God wants you to remember out of the whole world, the billions of people that have lived on the planet, when you start thinking about the the percentages of a whole world, for you today, you are chosen by God. For those of you that were never chosen before, for those of you that might have been last being picked on the baseball team or the volleyball team, and you're like, oh, here I am, the last one. Well, no, God says, I've chosen you. You're very precious in my sight. You're very important. Maybe you grew up in a home where some siblings were more favorites than others, and some were chosen over you. No, God doesn't do that in his his family. He loves you. You're elect. You're chosen. 
And then you might think, you might have that sensitive conscience and you might say, well, you know, why choose me? There's nothing special about me. Well, he chose you because he loves you. And you're everything special to him. What you don't see, God sees far more in you than even you can see in yourself. So trust him. Trust him in the new identity that you have. So notice in verse 3 now, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have been begotten again, born again, born again. Peter says that he blesses God that you're born again. (laughs) We don't think too much about that. We almost take for granted that we're born again. We almost take for granted that our life is different today. You know, for me, I've got so many years separate from my rebellious days, from my dark days, from my days of not caring at all about the things of God. I got many years that separate me. And those many years, if I'm not careful, could take away from the glorious blessing that I wake up every morning and just say, man, Lord, I'm so glad I'm born again. If you wouldn't have apprehended me when you did, it would have not ended, it would have not ended very well. It would have not ended well at all. And as bad as it is now, even as a redeemed brother, a redeemed father, a redeemed husband, as bad as it is now, it is profoundly better than it ever was on my best day. My worst day now is profoundly better than my best day. My worst day in the Lord, better than my best day apart from God. Every day of the week. And so what does he say? You are a blessed man and a blessed woman. We bless God that he gave us new life. Turn back to John chapter 3. How did Peter learn this? Well, he spent time with Jesus. It's the same way you're going to learn it. How are you going to learn this? Well, you're going to learn exactly where it is in the Bible in John chapter 3, what this begotten again means. Now, we often often don't use that word begotten again. What we use is born again. How many of you, by ways and have heard the phrase born again? Born again. Of course, we better. Uh, Hopefully. Now, if you haven't, now tonight you do. Born again. It is required for you and I to be born again in order to be saved and have our sins forgiven. It's not optional. It is required. And we learn that not from Peter first, but from Jesus. Notice in John chapter 3, this is the gospel of John. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes you're talking to people, especially very religious people. You find, out, you, you find out there's another believer at work, and so you want to talk about the things of God. But then you find out that they have a different belief system, maybe a different religion. So that when they ask, well, what kind of, what kind of uh, believer are you? Well, I'm born again. They go, oh, you're not one of those born-againers, are you? Here's the answer you share to them. You look them in the eye and say, there is no other kind of Christian than the born-again Christian. There is no other category. You can't be saved any other way. Jesus said, and see it with me in your own Bible, unless one is born again, he cannot see. You will not experience the kingdom of God. It's it's impossible. And who's he sharing this with? A man by the name of Nicodemus, a very religious man who had a religious perspective of salvation. A person 
that is not born again is not a Christian. You can't be saved any other way. A person that is not born again is not a Christian. It's not possible. I'm not, and you listening to me on the radio, I challenge you, find in the scriptures anywhere that refutes what Jesus said in John 3.3. 3. On that, you can email me. I would love to dialogue with you on the beautiful doctrine of grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ. That you're not saved by a church. You're not saved by a man. You're not saved by a religious system. You're not saved because you were born into a religious home. You're not saved because you're an American or whatever. Whatever you might, you can only be saved if what? You are born again. It's the only way. Whether you're in this church, that church, whether you're in your car, you're in a hospital bed, in a kitchen, it doesn't matter. Unless you're born again, you aren't going to see the kingdom of God. And being born again is the best description, I believe, of describing what happens to a person when they're saved. What happens to you and me when we're saved? We're born again. We get a new start in life. Matter of fact, we don't get a new start. We get a start in life where we were dead spiritually. We're going to be alive physically, but dead spiritually. Disconnected from God. Disconnected from the life of God. And yet still alive physically. And the danger is, is that when you're alive physically and you're dead spiritually, but you think you're alive spiritually, the Bible calls that self-deceived. You are lying to yourself. It's impossible. The best description is that when you and I are born again, we receive a new nature inside. Let me read it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And one of the evidences that you're born again is now you begin to really notice sin in your life. Whereas you didn't notice it before, now you notice it. You notice it, it can be even overwhelming because when you weren't alive spiritually, you were blind to all this stuff in your life. You didn't see it, you didn't experience it, you didn't even know about it. And when somebody tried to talk to you about it, you just blew them off and go, no, I'm religious, no, I paid my tithe, no, I, I took mass, no, I, no, and you were just completely dismissing of the reality of somebody wanted to show you the reality of life. So what happens when you're born again, you're alive to it. It could be quite overwhelming. Like I remember thinking, man, I knew I was bad, but after born again, I didn't know I was that bad and even worse. And the Bible speaks in Galatians chapter 5 verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. Now there's a battle going on, the spirit against the flesh. A born again person now has a fight warring and raging in their lives. There is the desire of the old person, just always alive. You're like, man, I thought when I was born again, I'd stop sinning. Not true. No, you actually are aware of how much you really do sin. And you're like, wow. And you're living in this perpetual repentance and humility until your heart gets hardened. And then you don't pay attention to it anymore. And sometimes that gets developed into a habit of, you know, it's not that big a deal. And I'll just come and ask for, you know, God's going to forgive me. And you just, you, you just push down 
the life of Christ to where you grieve the Holy Spirit. You don't even feel the presence of God anymore. Your life in Christ now gives a newness. Notice, in back in, come back to Peter with me. You've been begotten again to what? A living hope. So now the new life leads toward hope. It leads toward hope. We have a living hope. We're not hoping for death. We're hoping for life. To be reunited with those that have gone before us. Our hope is not wishful thinking. It's not maybe sometimes. We have a solid, steady, concrete, confident trust in Jesus Christ. And it keeps us alive. Oh, the whole world around us is falling apart. But we were born again to a living hope. Not a dying world. A living hope. We know that whatever happens around us, that it's not going to be our resolve and it's not going to be pulling up from our bootstraps. The way we're going to get through any darkness, any difficulty, is by living a born-again life in hope. There is hope for everything you see. You're You're a living example. You are a living, breathing example of the hope of Jesus. Some of you are answered prayer. People have been praying for your salvation forever, and now what? You're saved. God answered the prayer. You're an answer to prayer. You, you are a living, the living hope of the resurrection. What's greater than the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? A dead man coming back to life. <laughs> the power of Jesus rising again from the dead. The proof that he presents for everything that he said is true. Everything you're facing right now is not hopeless. Everything you're surrounded with is not hopeless. All the pressure and all the overwhelming baggage that's getting thrown upon your life is not hopeless. No matter what happens to you as Christians, you are living in hope. You know a better day's coming. And I don't just mean tomorrow. A better day's coming. A day where Jesus Christ will return and will make every right, every wrong right and establish righteousness and holiness, that he'll overrule every decision of man, and he'll make the crooked path straight. Our hope today leads us to a fulfilled hope in eternity. Look at verse 4. You were born again to a living hope, and then secondly, to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There's an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. It's incorruptible. Moth, moths can't eat it. Rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal it. It's incorruptible, imperishable. Your salvation is eternal. Those of you under great persecution, those of you that are running for your life, those of you that are scattered to the fearful, to the anxious, to the man that wants to give up, to the woman that wants to run away, to the kids that want to rebel, the Bible says that as a born-again believer, there's more to this life and that your inheritance is incorruptible. It's not going to fade away. It's reserved for you. It's still to be experienced. Notice verse 5. This is where we'll end today. Who 
are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Of all that you've experienced and all that you've enjoyed, there's still more to experience in salvation. And along the way, I want you to notice, you are kept by the power of God. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle that word kept. It's very important. You're kept. It's like you're a prized possession. And you are a kept man. And you are a kept woman. By who? By God. He's going to keep you close. And he's going to keep you saved. The word literally means to be guarded. That you're guarded by God. The word also can mean that you're in a fortress. In a high-walled fortress that the gates are locked. You are fortressed in. You are guarded by what? The power of your own works? Yes or no, church? No. Because some of you failed before you even, your feet even hit the floor today getting out of bed. Already you had sinful thoughts in your head. So thank God you are not kept. Even today, we got a text, a question on the show today. Um, Is there spiritual warfare in dreams? Yes. And so there you are having all these weird dreams because of things you were looking at and things you were into, and now you can't even get a good night's sleep, and warfare is there right on your bed. Are you kept because you get a good night's sleep? Yes or no, church? Kept by your own righteousness? Kept by the church you attend? By the religion you keep? You are kept, guarded, fortressed by what? The power of God. That should encourage you. That should keep you strong. You're elect. You're chosen. You have that sense of knowing that God loves you. You're born again. You're recipients of mercy, abundant mercy. You have a living hope. You know the power of the resurrection of Jesus. He's alive. You have an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's not defiled. It's never going to fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. All of you have experienced in Christ, there's more to experience. And until then, you are kept by the power of God. Your salvation is safe and secure in Jesus Christ. This word kept has the picture of someone standing guard over our lives. The idea of a fortress is not an unusual picture in the Bible. Let me read to you a few verses. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are what? Safe. You are safe in the Lord. Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, and I will set him on high, because he's known my name. Psalm 125, verse 2. As the mountains surround Jerusalem... So the Lord surround his people from this time forth and forevermore. So the question is, are you saved? Are you secure? Are you elect? Are you born again? And to most everyone listening to me, the answer is yes. You, you happen to be in a place of great confidence right now, and it's easy for you to say yes. But don't, under, don't, don't underestimate the power of doubt, because a lot of people walk around with doubts of their salvation. Don't look down on them. Don't judge them. This is a place in the Bible you could take them to encourage them. It's like, oh, I can't believe it. You're always doubting your salvation. That's just a weak spot in their lives. Those of us that are stronger in the faith are supposed to come alongside those that are weaker in faith. And you know, there are weaker brethren. 
and weaker sisters. So you have somebody in your life that's always doubting their salvation, always fearful that they've lost it, that they've blown it. You just take them here and say, well, let's talk about you. And maybe you'll find out they've never been saved to begin with, and you can pray for them to receive Jesus right there. Maybe they've been doubting because they've never been born again. They go, what is born again? I don't know anything about being born again. You can take them where? Back to John chapter 3 and go through the whole thing because there's so much more than what Jesus said just in verse 3. So be careful with those that are more sensitive. Where to strengthen the weak. Not to be upset with them. And some people just have a sense of doubting their salvation. But I'm here to remind you that you don't need to doubt your salvation because you are kept, how? By the power of God. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's everything beginning and end and everything in the middle. Let me show you what he, let's hear it from Jesus. Peter, where did he learn this? From Jesus. Why? Because he spent time with Jesus. So let me show you where he learned it. John chapter 10. Turn back with me in John chapter 10. I want you to leave here assured and confident of your salvation. And if you're not assured and confident of your salvation, I want to invite you to receive the Lord today. I want to invite you to come into relationship. Maybe you're in a time of much affliction. Maybe this is a time where you're ready to hear the word. Finally, this is it. The seriousness of life. You're like, man, I'm so scattered. I'm so beat up. I don't know what to do. I thought I was saved. I don't know. Well, today's the day that God wants to bring you to a place of salvation. And he wants you to receive him. He wants you to repent of your sins. And notice what he says here now in John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them and said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep, check this out. This is so cool. As we've learned already, God's part, our part. Our part, receive the word. How do we receive the word? Faith comes by hearing, according to Romans, and hearing by the word of God. So here Jesus is tying this together. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. Again, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, I need you to circle this because it's important. When next to eternal, you can circle that word and just put an arrow and say right next to it, not temporary. Jesus doesn't give temporary life. When you are born again, you are given what? Eternal life. Age abiding life, both in time and in substance. So I give them eternal life and they shall, and just in case you wonder how long eternal is, Jesus says, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, including yourself. That's why I believe, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why I believe a true prodigal son and daughter is coming home. I believe that with all my heart. Why? Because nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hands. They can run away. They can walk away. They can wander away from the love of God. They can go play games in the world, live misery. You know, they can have a miserable life. They can be eating pig slop when they could be eating at the king's table. They can do a lot of bad, horrible things in the backsliding life, but they can't snatch themselves out of the Father's hands. They do, th they do so as a miserable, backslidden believer. So when you pray for your prodigal kids, I know some of you might have even given up hope and faith right now. Don't give up hope and faith because if they're truly born again, they're coming back. Nobody's going to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Not even themselves. 
Not even they go, oh, I hate Christianity. I hate, you know, now the big popular thing in culture today is to deconstruct faith. That's the big thing. You know, a lot of popular Christian authors now, I've deconstructed my faith, and now at the end of deconstructing my faith, I don't believe in God anymore. It's interesting that nobody deconstructs their faith and becomes a stronger believer, getting rid of the flesh and getting rid of compromise and getting rid of cultural Christianity. Everyone that deconstructs their faith ends up turning their back on God. Well, that's only because they've come to a place where the weight of their own sin, they're no longer coming to the cross. They're no longer asking for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. They're letting the weight of this world and the weight of their own sin push them away from God. However, even those that are standing against God and going, oh, I don't believe that, if they're truly born again, they're going to be kept by the power of God. As bad as it is, it could be worse if God wasn't keeping them by his power. And you go, well, Ed, what about the strong delusion? Strong delusion is going to come and people that thought they were believers are going to find out they weren't. They're going to find out they weren't born again. They're, they're going to find out that they had this cultural attitude and they were kind of playing church. And believe me, as a pastor, I've been around long enough. I see a lot of people playing church. I see a lot of people. I mean, as I think through, as I've been praying just through this new season of our church, and I just think through the faces that have come through here, guys that I've served with, guys that I've trusted, families that have been trusted care here, guys that I've gone on the mission field with that aren't even walking with the Lord anymore. And you just have to think back. You're like, well, I don't know, Ed. Were they saved or not saved? I don't know. I just know they're not serving Jesus right now. And it's sad. You remember Jesus talked about the seed being sown? He doesn't tell how long it takes for the seed to be stolen away. And the cares of this world, we kind of think it happens right away. Well, we don't know how long it takes. I do know this. Through time... And testing, that reveals a lot in a person's life. And if today you would say, well, Ed, I am born again. I repented of my sins. Then this is where you need to stay put. Jesus said, listen, you hear me, you follow me. You know those that follow Jesus. You know those that are truly born again because they hear Jesus and they follow him. And that's why one of the great concerns that I have about people that got used to not being in fellowship anymore, is that's always, the gathering together is always just a sign and a symptom of a person's life. It's not everything. Being in a room like this is not the entirety of your Christian experience. You know that, right? It's 90 minutes. Or if I go a little over, 91 minutes. You know, it's just a few minutes of your life. This is preparation time. This is like a gymnasium where you build your faith. This is a time where you deal with things spiritually. This is a time where you're built up and you're strengthened to live the rest of your life outside of this room. But I can tell a lot of people by their regular attendance of church services. I can tell a lot about people by their regular service in their local church. Even though I don't have these facts, if I did have these facts, I could tell a lot about a family and a life by their giving of their tithes and offerings. I can see the level of commitment in their lives by the level of commitment that they demonstrate in the family of God. It's like anything. If you can't live out your faith in family, what makes you think you're going to live out in a hostile world? And so one of the concerns that I really have is greater than what's happening in the world today. My concern is for the flock of God that has started to develop some of the worst habits in their entire lives, and they're going to pay a big price for them. Because the things of God aren't that important anymore. 
And they've gotten used to it. And they let it slide. And one way to measure, it's just one little way to measure, is being in service. Being with other believers. Gathering together. Praying for one another. Sharing the gospel. Looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Looking for the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, if you... If you're my sheep, you're going to hear my voice, and his voice doesn't sound like the world. Sometimes his voice doesn't sound like popular pastors and preachers either. There are those that speak on behalf of God that really aren't speaking on behalf of God at all. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day? They had all the right words. They even used the Torah, the scrolls. But Jesus said, man, you tell people to do things that you're not even willing to do. You lay heavy burdens on, your, on people that you won't even carry. You have an appearance, Jesus, I'm all paraphrasing Matthew, maybe 25-ish or so. Uh, you, you have this appearance that you're so spiritual and righteous and you have all the right answers, but you're like full of dead men's bones. You're so far from God. You sit in Moses' seat of authority because you should sit in Moses' seat of authority. I made it for that. But then you tell people to do things that are completely the opposite of my heart. Jesus had to come on the scene and say to all the religious leaders of the day, and all the people, just the people that get hurt by this, and he had to tell them, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So who are you going to listen to? Sheep hear the voice of Jesus, and they follow him. And that may put you up against a popular pastor that you follow. It may put you up against me if I say something wrong. Look, if my voice doesn't match the voice of Jesus, you follow Jesus. You follow him. And you pray for me. You know, I don't think that brother sounds like Jesus. And then email me and tell me, you don't sound like Jesus. And I'll forward it to Ian and he'll answer you for me. <laughs> now, I mean, if I ever get that way, you follow the Lord. I'm not your shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. I'm just an under-shepherd. A human one at that. The Lord is the one we listen to. He's the one we follow. It's going to make you look different maybe from your friends. They go to another church and they're doing this and they're doing... And you're like, why are you doing that? Because I heard from the Lord. That's why I heard from the Lord. You hear from the Lord? Yeah, I do. I actually do. I read the Bible. I hear what Jesus said. And Jesus said so many things that I want to live out in my life. And he says, if you hear him and follow him, you're going to receive eternal life. You're never going to perish. Nobody's going to snatch you out of their hands. And then he says in verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater. And no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hands because I, my father, and one. And at this, the Jews were excited. They give Jesus a big hug and say, we want to follow you. No, that's not what verse 31 is. It's not a popular message. The Jews took up stones again to kill him. That was the message of safety and security. The message of confidence and being kept by God. The message of the grace of God and the goodness of God that isn't dependent upon human effort. This was the message that said, you follow me, I'm going to keep you safe forever. You're going to have what Peter says, an incorruptible, unperishable inheritance reserved in heaven for you. You're going to make it through. Why? Because I'm going to keep you. And the response of the Jews were there. They wanted to kill him. Another reason. But for us that here, if we're truly born again, then we're safe and secure in Jesus Christ. An imperishable new life. 
to me, it's encouraging because it doesn't matter what you're facing. Remember, Jesus spoke about, hey, even if, who, who are you more afraid of? Those that can destroy the body or those, the one that can destroy the body and the soul? Who are you more afraid of? Who gets more of your attention? Who gets more of your loyalty? Who gets more of your commitment? Who gets more? Is it the one that you're afraid that you're going to have temporary loss that's going to scatter you, that, that's going to hurt you, that's going to throw you in jail? Remember, they threw Paul in jail many, many times. And what did Paul say? I might be in jail, but the word of God is not chained. And you may get thrown in jail. You may have the hostility of this world come upon you. You may face it like Nero did, like Nero did to these believers. I just want you to know, I want to say it very publicly, I believe the Bible more than I believe Smithsonian Magazine. The Bible has stood the test of time. And Nero was a wicked leader, ruling over with a wicked government. And Peter, the first thing he, right out of the gate, says, guys, all that you're experiencing, you're experiencing in the power of God. <laughs> you haven't left the power of God. This is it. This is Christianity 101. Things won't get easier. They're going to get harder. But it's okay. Because your eternity is secure. Everything is safe and secure in Jesus. So Father, we're just grateful that you would get us out the gate here with encouragement the safety and security that we have by faith in you. And it's our desire to follow you, to cling to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you here tonight? You've never given your life to Jesus Christ? I want to invite you right where you are. Get up out of your seat and come right up to the stage as we sing this song. So let's stand together, church. And we're going to sing a song together. Pastor Ian's going to lead us. And the invitation is now, if you must be born again and you want to be, just get up out of your seat and walk up front here and we, I will, we, the pastors will pray with you. We'll encourage you and, and we just want you to like, let's do it. Let's, 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 let us be a part of the most glorious day of your life and you can leave here with confidence that your life is right with God. If that's you, just do it right now. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you hear his voice, you'll follow him, and he will give you eternal life. That's the hope of heaven. The hope isn't a new government. The hope isn't a new direction. A hope isn't a new stimulus. A hope isn't more money in the bank. Your hope is only found by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else. You, know, you might want to take up stones to stone me. I'll be in good company. Because Jesus is your hope. And maybe you're so frustrated because your eyes aren't on Jesus. You haven't been spending time with him. You're more up to date with everything that's going on in the world instead of being up to date with how God sees the world. You know, the mocking unbelievers that make fun of the church, that create stupid rules against the church, all these mocking unbelievers. They, the, Bible, the Bible says God looks at them and he says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. It's all foolishness. Give them too much credit. We should be praying for them, sharing the gospel with them, living out our lives, letting the church be the church. Let the world be the world. Let the church be the church. <laughs> That's how it works. And God will use you. And then you're like, oh my goodness, 
This is amazing. They were just waiting. They were just waiting to hear. Yeah, you're the messenger. So is there anyone here that needs to receive the Lord? Come on up. The Bible says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Don't harden your hearts. Believer, unbeliever alike. Today, if you'll hear the Lord. And I just think that was a word from the Lord. I wrote it down. Let the world be the world and let the church be the church. And let's see what God wants to do. Let's give him a chance to work. Let's step out in faith. Amen? We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.